Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. We are not having technical difficulties. We're doing this on purpose. Now, you can see me a little bit, right? You can't see all of me. You can't make out great detail. If it was darker outside and we could get rid of all these lights, you'd have a hard time seeing me. And there's a reason for that. But on the count of three, you're going to be able to see me a whole lot better. One, two, three. Now, now you can see me a lot better, and I do apologize for that. But there's a reason I wanted to do this. The difference between before the lights were on and after the lights were on was someone turned on the lights. And that's what Paul is praying for other believers in Ephesians chapter number 1. He is teaching us how to pray for other believers and to pray that as they walk with God, as they pursue God, as they go through life with God, that the lights would be turned on in their hearts, spiritually speaking. What we just experienced physically uh, with these lights being turned on is what Paul is praying the believers at Ephesus would experience spiritually. And the reality is that without the Holy Spirit moving and working in our lives and turning on the the lights spiritually in our hearts, there are things about God, there are truths about God, there are things in life that we will never fully understand without the Holy Spirit shining the light on our hearts. And as a believer, I hope what you know it is like to walk with God and have him turn on the lights, to be going through a situation and all of a sudden a verse comes to mind and God just illuminates that verse and shows you this is what I've been trying to tell you and this is what I've been trying to teach you and just having the lights turn on spiritually and that is what Paul has been praying for these new believers. And so look in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse number 18. The Bible says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. Now, the, the word enlightened there is the Greek word fortizo, and it means to illuminate, to shine light upon, to make known what is unknown. So Paul, as he is praying for these new believers, is praying that the light of the knowledge of God would be turned on. Now, enlightened here in the Greek, it's in the passive voice, and that's important because whenever you read something in the Greek New Testament and it's in the active voice, the subject of the sentence is the one doing the action. 
So, for instance, in this sentence, when Paul says, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, the believers are the subject of the sentence. And so, if it was in the active voice, they would be the ones turning on the lights. But it's in the passive voice. And in the passive voice, it means that the subject receives the action. So they are not the ones who are turning on the lights. They are the ones who are having the lights turned on. This is something that only God can do in the life of a believer. He is praying for something that only the Holy Spirit of God can do in their their lives. And like I said, there are things about God we will never understand without the Holy Spirit turning on the lights. But he keeps going that the eyes... Excuse me, if I don't tie my shoe, I'm going to trip and fall, and Joel will laugh at me again. And that's just mean on Joel's part, to be honest with you. He should come check if I broke a hip or something, instead of laughing at me, all right? <coughs> Continue in verse number 18, that the eyes of your understanding, uh, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. Now, here, the word know there is the Greek word I do. There's several different words for know in the New Testament. One of them is gnosko. This is kind of a, a, a intimate, personal familiarity between a husband and a wife. But this word, I do, it means to know by experience. It is a relational term. It is knowledge that you gain by doing something, by experiencing something. Several, a couple years ago, uh, Parker, when he turned 15, he started to get his learners. I decided now's the time to teach him how to start maintaining his vehicle uh, when he got one. Teach him how to change the oil, teach him how to change tires, to teach him basic maintenance that he can do on his own because it saves a lot of money. And let's be honest, everyone, especially every guy, needs to know how to change a tire. And so I'm teaching him how to change the oil. And so I get him under, the, under my Explorer, and we've got it up on the ramps, and I'm, I'm showing him what to do. And I, I tell him, I say, okay, here's the oil plug. And you put the, the socket on there, and you unloosen it. When you get it loose, you just kind of pull it out with your fingers. And so I was telling him how to do that and then get the pan out of the way, and he just did it, and the oil hit him right in his face. He learned by experience, don't do that. And that's usually what I, what I love when I try to ask our kids. They'll, they'll do something dumb and hurt themselves. And I'll always ask, did you learn anything? Yeah, I learned not to jump on the trampoline in the dark when it's snowing and I ain't got no, no, nothing on. Okay, great. If you learn something, fine. You learned by experience. That's this word, I do. So Paul is saying, I pray that the eyes of your understanding will be turned on, the light will be turned on as you experience Time with God. So Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would do a work in the hearts of the believers that would allow them to experience God in new and deeper ways. I don't know about you, but I want that. I don't want to just know about God. I don't just want to know God. I want to experience God moving and working in my life. I want to experience God in new and deeper ways. But let's keep going that you may, might know the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe 
according to the working of his mighty power, which we wrought in Christ when he, when he raised him from the dead and set him on his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in the world which is to come, and hath also, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. And so what we've been talking about for the last several weeks is from, from verse 15 all the way down to verse 23 is Paul's prayer for these saints at Ephesus. It is what he is praying specifically for these believers. And we've been studying this to, to look at an example about how we can pray for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. So we're not just pulling out those junk drawer prayers. We're not just pulling out, Lord, bless so-and-so. Lord, give them traveling mercies. Still don't know what that is. Lord, put a hedge of protection about them. Don't know why we do a hedge. But so we avoid these kind of junk drawer, common, vain prayers. We're learning how we can more productively and more, more personally pray for other believers more strategically. And two weeks ago when we were studying this, we said that the greatest thing that we can pray for other believers is that they would grow in their intimate knowledge of God. That they would learn about God and grow closer to God every day. And that's what Paul is praying for. That these believers will grow in their love relationship with God. Because God has not invited us into a religion. God has invited us into a relationship that we need to grow in in order to draw closer to him. We have to grow in every relationship we have. If you're not growing in your marriage, your marriage is dying. You even no matter how long you've been married, You've got to continually grow in your relationship and learn about each other and experience each other or your marriage is going to die. It's the same thing with God. We can't just have a relationship with God where you say, okay, God, I accept you as my Savior. See you when I get to heaven. Peace out. I'll talk to you every Sunday morning. We've got to grow every single day in our relationship with God. And there are three ways that Paul prayed for these believers to grow in their intimate knowledge with him. We looked at two of them last time. The first one he said was we were to pray for them to practically apply the knowledge of God. This prayer is praying for the Holy Spirit to work in the life of a believer to give them wisdom about knowing God and then to use that wisdom to live in fellowship with God. It's more than just a head knowledge about God. It's more than just knowing the Bible. It's knowing what the Bible says about God and using that to draw closer to Him. Knowing that God is gracious and using that to receive grace from God. And that, that fellowship, that knowledge that we have should change the way we live. Here's the second thing he said to pray. Pray that they daily pursue the knowledge of God. This is from the phrase wisdom and revelation in verse number 17. He says that he prays that they would carve out time daily to pursue fellowship with God. And that's what we should pray for each other, that we would, we would understand the value and the importance of daily time alone with God. You know, using the same analogy 
of a marriage. If you just spend one hour a week with the girl you're trying to marry, you're not going to marry her. One hour a week does not a relationship build. And then you maybe you convince somehow her to marry you and say, great, well, I'll see you every week. Every week, Sunday morning, 11 a.m., I'll see you. I'll see you from 11 to 12, and then I'll see you again next week. That's not, a, that's not how you build a relationship. That's not how you build a friendship, and that's what God's invited us into. And so we are to daily pursue time with God. So Paul says that we should pray for other believers to grow in their knowledge of God, and they pursue an intimate fellowship with God. But there's a third thing that Paul says we should pray. Pray that they grow deeper in the knowledge of God. This is praying that as they pursue God intimately, the Holy Spirit of God will shine light on the truth of God so they experience God in new ways. What Paul is praying is he's praying that the Holy Spirit of God in them shines the light of God in their life so they experience God in new ways and draw closer to him. Let me explain to you what I mean. On August 28th, 1999, I stood at the altar of new of a Gospelite Baptist Church in Evington, Virginia, and I took April Minnix, or April Horsley at that time, I took her as my wife. I, I knew her well. I had met her four years before. We had started dating. I fell in love with her, and I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. So I, I asked her to marry me. We had a year engagement, and then on August 29th, 1999, we got married. We have been together now for over 20 years. We have lived together in a daily, intimate relationship for over 20 years. I know her better now than I ever could have known her back on August 29th, 1999. Why? Because we've had 20 years of life experience together. I've seen her hurt. I've seen her happy. I've seen her sick. I've seen her have babies. I've seen everything that could ever see. And I've still got more to learn about her. And another 20 years, I'll look back and say, I know her better now than I did 40 years ago. Because as you spend time with someone, as you experience life with someone, you learn more and more about someone. And so in a relationship, the more you do life together, those shared experience, they deepen your knowledge of the other person. And that is what Paul is praying for in this passage. Yes, we know God. If we're saved, we know him as our father. We've accepted him as our savior and we, we know God. We are in a relationship with God. We are pursuing God. But he is praying that as we pursue God and learn about God, that we experience God and grow deeper in our relationship with him. And that only happens through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to shine the light of God in our lives as we experience God to show us where God is working in our hearts and our lives. The moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God moved in and dwells you. And one responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to shine the light of truth to reveal God to you. And so when you, when you carve out time to spend alone with God and his word, it's the Holy Spirit that shows you truth about God from his word. Because our relationship with God is a spiritual relationship. 
You know, you can't go have coffee with God. I would love to. I would love to every morning wake up and be able to have a cup of coffee with God. Because I got some questions. Like, okay, God, look, I know you're sovereign. I know you got everything under God. I trust you. But can you explain why you're doing this here? Because I don't get it. And he'd say, just shut up and drink your coffee. It's none of your business. You'll see it later. But we, we don't have a physical relationship. We have a spiritual relationship with God. The Bible says in John 16, 13, How be it when he, the spirit of truth, have come, he will guide you into all truth. So one of the Holy Spirit's job is to guide us into the truth of God and to show us when God is working in our lives. And as we live in fellowship with God, the Holy Spirit of God inside of us shines the light so we can experience God and grow to know him in new ways. That is the general idea of Paul's prayer, but he gives three specific areas that he was praying for these believers to deepen their experiential knowledge of God. Here's the first area. He says they would, experience, they would learn to experience God in his calling. Ephesians 1.18, <clears throat> that you may know the hope of his calling. This speaks to the divine calling we receive as believers that we have been when we are introduced into the privileges of the gospel. This, this, this phrase, the hope of his calling, it is used throughout the New Testament to describe the call of God where we are invited into an intimate, personal love relationship with him. And so what Paul is praying here is that we would grow deeper in our understanding of who we are in Christ. You know, what we've been talking about in the first part of this chapter, uh, he wants us to understand what God's invited us into. And we said verses 3 through verse 14 is just Paul telling us who we are in Christ, who we are in God, not because we've earned it or deserve it, but because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are in Christ, and because we are in Christ, these are things not that we're trying to be or we're going to be or we're hoping to be, but these are things that we are right now. And so Paul prays that our experiences with God will deepen our knowledge of who we are in him because of Jesus. And so we've said the greatest thing that can happen to a believer is for us to see ourselves as God sees us. And right now, as a child of God, God sees you as loved. It's not something you're trying to be, it's something you are. Right now, in Christ, you're accepted. Right now, in Christ, you are cherished. Right now, in Christ, you are chosen by God. And so Paul prays that we would not just know those facts, but as we experience God in our lives, we would grow deeper in that knowledge through experience and experience the fact that we're loved. Experience the fact that we're chosen. Experience the fact that we're accepted. And specifically, he prays that we would know the hope of our calling. Hope is an interesting word. Hope means the desire of something good with the expectation of obtaining it. It is the confident expectation based on our position in Christ. Here's what I mean about that. Because of my position in Christ, because of my position in God's family, there are things that I can expect from God with confidence. 
Romans, in Romans 10, 11, and Romans 9, 33, and Isaiah 20, 28, 16, it says this. It says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. That word ashamed there is the word disappointed. When you put your hope in him, you will never be disappointed. The more you pursue God, the more you know God, the more the Holy Spirit reveals to you by experience the things of God, the more you can hope in God. So because of my relationship with God, there are things I can expect. I can expect God's faithful provision in my life and my experiences with God reinforce this. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, the Bible says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. See, God's not just faithful in calling us to a relationship with him. God is faithful in providing for us in that relationship. And we have the confident hope because of our position in God that God will take care of us. And we know this truth from the Bible, but we also know this truth from the Holy Spirit revealing it to us in Scripture. But we grow more confident in this truth as the Holy Spirit reveals God doing it in our lives. And I can name time after time after time after time where God has taken care of me. Where God has provided for me. There was one time we were in Bible college. And in in Bible college, as a Bible college student, we had like no money whatsoever. And our van, we had a a Dodge Caravan that we we literally drove to the engine, exploded, put a new engine in it, and drove it until we blew up the transmission, then finally got rid of it. Uh, gave it to a missionary who fixed it and used it for another five years. But uh, we were trying to, we were having some trouble with the van. The fuel pump was messing up. And so I, I, couldn't, I couldn't take it to a mechanic because I had no money. But uh, I'd, I'd done work on our cars before, so I thought, you know what, I, I'll take care of it. I'll do what I need to do. So I, I you know, got the, the van jacked up and put it on ramps on the back, and I'm under there. And I've finally gotten the, the gas tank lowered a little bit where I could get to the, to the fuel pump, and I'm trying to undo it, and I snap it off. And it falls into the gas tank. That's a bad thing. I couldn't fix it. I had no idea what to do. So I did the only thing I could do. I called a mechanic, they came and they picked it up on a tow truck, took it to their shop and they fixed it and they called me that afternoon and said, well, your bill is $350. And so I said, okay, I'll be over there paying as soon as I can. I didn't have $350. I didn't have $3.50. So I said, okay, well, I guess we don't have a van anymore. And that afternoon I went to the mailbox I opened up our mailbox, I checked our mail, and there's a letter from my, my home church in Evington. It was just a, a card, and they'd send me cards once in a while, say, praying for you. Hoping so I opened it up, and it was a praying for you card, and I opened up the card, and they sent a $400 check and paid for the entire thing. They had no idea. Hey, that's just a coincidence. No, it's not. That's God taking care of us. After Bible college, we were moving from Indiana back to Virginia to start the church. And man, I couldn't get out fast enough. That's why I hate snow. You spend five years in Indiana where it snows like seven feet in a weekend and people start saying, I hope we get snow. I'm like, oh, you're stupid. So when that's like time to go, I'm out of there. I want to go back to south. And so we're, we're getting everything packed up. We're closing out all our accounts. We're doing everything. And so we, we rented the, the, uh, the Penske truck to come back. 
<laughs> and when we rented it, they gave us the price, and we were about $180 short uh, of the cash that we had to pay the bill to be able to come home. But I needed the truck, so I went ahead and reserved it and just thought, well, we'll see. God, something's going to happen. The day I had to go pick up and pay for the truck, I got a call from my, my doctor that I had up there. And the doctor told me, hey, because uh, I'd been doing, it was my, my chiropractor, I'd been getting some work on my back, and he said, she said, hey, through the, the course of the year, doing some treatment on your back, you overpaid by $200, so you can come pick up this check. Who overpays a doctor? But I did. So I went and I picked up that $200 check, and I went to Penske, and I paid the whole bill, and we were able to come home, praise the Lord, haven't been back since, thank you, Jesus. Say, that's just a coincidence. No, it's not. That is God providing for me. And I know that through Scripture, God says He will, but I know that even better because I've experienced God doing it in my life. And I can point to time after time after time where God has kept His word. And I can say with confidence, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, God will take care of me because he says he will, and I know he has. And that's what Paul's praying. That as we go through life, our eyes are open to the times where God shows up. And God does what we need God to do. And we can say, God said he'd do it. I know God will do it because I've experienced God doing it. We have a secure hope that God will provide for us. Both, and so when, when we are obedient to what God speaks into our lives, God will take care of the rest. And because of my relationship with God, I have confident hope that God will provide, but I also have the confident hope that God will provide me with his sovereign protection. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to, our, to his purpose. Say, I don't talk about God's protection. Yeah, it does. Because it tells me everything that happens in my life, no matter what it is, is filtered through the loving hands of a heavenly father, and he sends it to me for my good and for his glory, even the things I don't like. And again, I can take you to times in my life where I've looked at what's going on and thought, God, this doesn't feel very good. I don't like this. I don't understand why you're doing this. But as I look back, I can say, God, I didn't like it at the time, but you worked it out for my good. You worked it out for for my benefit, for my good. And whenever God does something for our good, it's always for his glory because we can look to him and glorify God and know God is always protecting me. Because of who I am in Christ, I don't have to be shaken because of my, by my circumstances. And so Paul prays that we would grow in the knowledge of his calling. He also says, pray that we would grow in the knowledge of his inheritance. It says in, in verse 18, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This, of course, is referring to the reality that in Christ we have an inheritance. Everything that belongs to God now belongs to me because I am in the family of God. Romans 8.18, Bible says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Whatever you are facing today, whether it's good, whether it's hard, whether it's tra- whatever it is, whatever you are facing today, when compared to eternity, there is no comparison to the glory that we will be a part of. And so Paul is praying that through the Holy Spirit, we would live our lives in light of eternity. While we grow in the knowledge of what we have to come, we realize the things on this earth isn't all there is. Randy Acorn says this, Alcorn says this, five minutes after we die, we'll know exactly how we should have lived. But God has given us his word so we don't have to wait to die to find out. Ask yourself, five minutes after I die, what will I wish I would have given away while I still have the chance? When you come up with the answer, why not give it away now? Why not spend the rest of our lives closing the gap between what we wish we would have given and what we really are giving? See, when, when we begin to live in light of eternity, the things that don't matter to us, that matter to us now, don't begin to, suddenly don't matter such as much. They're not as big of a deal. When we, here's what I mean. When we live in light of eternity, lost people matter more than our comfort. They have eternal souls that matter to God and they should matter to us. Look, ultimately, people are not Republicans or Democrats. Ultimately, people are not conservatives or liberals. And I know it's an election year and I'm making you mad. But it's not an either or. Ultimately, people aren't Americans or foreigners. Ultimately, people aren't black or white. Ultimately, people are saved and on their way to eternity with God, or they're lost and on their way to eternity in hell. And that's what matters. Doesn't matter their politics. Doesn't matter who they vote for. Doesn't matter what their bumper sticker on their car is. Doesn't matter what... Nothing matters except the fact that they're either saved and on their way to heaven or lost and on their way to hell. That's all that matters. That's all that matters to Jesus. When we live in light of eternity, we care less about the other stuff and we care more about the fact that they are lost or saved. When, when we live in light of eternity, laying treasures up in heaven matters. You know, there's a phrase, you, you can't take it with you. We've all heard that, that saying, you never see a, a hearse, uh, a U-Haul following a hearse. You can't take it with you. I mean, the pharaohs tried, but people still broke in and stole their stuff after they were dead. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. You can lay up treasures for yourself today in heaven. God says as we invest in God's kingdom, Jesus says that we are laying treasures up in heaven. And we, we can prepare our, our glory up there. And look, the treasures you lay up in heaven by serving God, by witnessing for God, by loving others, by just living in light of eternity. It's not for you to get up to heaven and say, hey, look how much stuff I got. Because you know, we're gonna, if that's your goal, when you get to heaven, you're going to be broke. You're going to have nothing. But if your goal is, man, I sure wish I could give something back to God for all he's done for me and you serve God to glorify God, 
Then we get to heaven, we have treasures laid up in heaven, we have crowns of glory, not, not to walk around showing off our crowns, but so we can give back to him. Because he deserves all glory. He deserves all praise. But we can prepare now to lay up treasures in heaven. When we live in light of eternity, loving others in God's family matters. Look around the room. Look at everybody in this room. Look around. Get a good look at them. You're going to spend eternity with them. So you might as well start loving them now. Because eternity is a long time. And so when we live in light of eternity, loving others in God's family matters. We ought, to, we ought to start now learning how to disagree without disfellowshipping. You can disagree with someone that's not a gospel or a doctrine issue. You can disagree with how somebody does something and not disfellowship with them. Because you disfellowship with them on earth, it's going to make some real awkward conversations in heaven. When Jesus sits you down and says, look, that didn't matter to me. Why did it matter so much to you that you broke off fellowship with this guy and stopped being a blessing to him and didn't allow them to be a blessing to you? Loving God's family matters. Pray. So Paul is praying that as we grow in our relationship with God, we begin to live in light of eternity. But here's the third area that Paul prays that we grow in the knowledge of. The knowledge of his power. Verse 19, and what is the exceeding greatness of? Of his power. Do you notice how Paul is piling on the words? He could have said, and what is the and what is his power? Or what is the greatness of his power? But he said, What is the exceeding greatness of his power? Chris Vaughn said this. He said, This heaping up of words suggests the idea of power to the very telling of which exhausts the resources of language, and ultimately defies description. What Paul is praying here is that you would know by experience through the Holy Spirit the exceeding greatness of the power of God that is available to you. If we understood the power of God has made available to us in Christ, it would change how we lived our lives. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him that is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. God's power is bigger than anything you can imagine. There is no limit to the power of God and you have access to it through the Holy Spirit living in your life. The power that resides in you through the Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same power that God used to create the universe. So here's what that means. You, inside of you, have the power to have a good marriage. You have the power to raise godly kids. You have the power to overcome that sin that's been conquering you and bothering you for years. You have the power to overcome it. And God wants us to experience that power. You have the power to live for God. The same power that raised Jesus allows him to rule over the church, and now that power lives in you. Andrew Murray said this. <clears throat> he said, Christ has supernatural power. The power of heaven 
the power of holiness, the power of fellowship with God, and Christ can give me grace to live as he lived. Whatever you're facing today, you have access to the supernatural power of God to overcome it. And Paul is praying that we would experience the power that we have. You have in you resurrection power. So if your marriage is on life support, you have power to resurrect it. If your walk with God seems dead, there's power inside of you to resurrect it. There is power inside of you. There is nothing that you will face this side of heaven that you do not have the power to deal with. And Paul is praying, I wish you would experience that power. What Paul is, here's what Paul is praying. When it gets tough, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. Wait for God and experience God's power in your life and know that God will help you overcome it. God has power inside of us to overcome anything. So here's how Paul says we are to pray for other believers. Pray that they would learn by experience what God has for them. Pray that as they live their life, as they walk with God, as they pursue God, as things happen that they wouldn't equate it to coincidence. But they realize that's God working in my life. That's God providing for me. That's God protecting me. That's God coming through for me. That's God giving me power to overcome what I have to overcome. Look, in the life of the believer, there are no coincidences. You know, it's not, oh, it's a coincidence that check showed up. No, it's not. It's the power of God. Oh, that's a coincidence you got better, you you cancer. No, it's not. It's the power of God. It's a coincidence you got your marriage back together. No, it's not. It's the power of God. And Paul is praying, saying, pray for other believers that as they go through life, they see God working in their life. And that causes them to grow in the relationship with God. He is praying that the Holy Spirit would turn on the light in their life and they would see God work and God move in their lives. That's what we should pray for each other. That's what I will pray for me. As I go through life, I see God. And because I see God, I know God better.